I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Wise Men Say podcast. We have a defeat in the FA Cup to brush over, but I think we will be having a wider conversation about the current state of Sunderland. I'm Stephen Goldsmith. I've been away for a couple of weeks, and it seems like the world's caved in when it comes to Sunderland in that time. Uh, joining me, as always, uh, Gareth Barker. I should not be saying you're joining me. Kind of, you can say that if you want, yeah, you know, we're, you, we're in this together, striving. we're in this together. Right, okay, yeah. then. okay then, yeah, yeah, okay then, hi then, okay, yeah, hi. I'll go back to my normal, I'll go back to my normal, pause, <laughs> hi, there you go. That's what people have come to expect. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, joining us as well to talk about all things Sunderland, delighted to say it's been a while since we've had you on and it is former Sunderland winger stroke forward, Kieran Brady. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Gareth. Um, thank you very much for asking me to come on. No problem at all. Like like the other people who haven't been on here, just caring something personal, we're just lazy. Um, that is and... true. <laughs> well, it's, right. it's, it, I mean, I'm sure it isn't the case, but it certainly seems to me that any time I'm asked to do a podcast or some form of interaction with media or supporters, it tends to be in a period of significant adversity. And I don't know if there's some sort of clarion call comes out to me whenever Sunderland are engaged in some form of crisis. But nevertheless, I'm here to offer my inane utterances and see how we go from there. Perhaps because you could just articulate yourself better, Kieran, where we might just go a bit mm. more route one, a bit more direct. Well, I mean, given what we've witnessed of late, I don't know how eloquent you have to be to use different forms of the word sh- yeah, you can swear, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, you go. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we'll I, I was about... just gonna, I was just gonna say, like a, a period of significant crisis. I mean, is that not just constant? constant? <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Um, you could name the podcast that. To be fair, yeah, yeah. Hmm. sounds like uh, it would be uh, fitting. Did you go to the game, Gareth, on Saturday? I did, did indeed. Wasn't very good. <laughs> I mean, um, when you looked at the team sheet, you thought you thought straight away, he's put a team out to win this. He wants to stop this rot. And uh, nothing of the sort happened. Well, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, how saying one thing that has, what regardless of the results, what the real positive has been is the fact we've been able to change the team in the Cups, wholesale changes as well, not like at the weekend where there was a few. And we've managed to be able to implement the same sort of way of playing, the same style. We've had that fluidity. It's almost like we had a second eleven, and those players weren't interchangeable. Unfortunately, when the bad forms hit, they've managed to do exactly the same thing, in that they've been changed the team and have been 
as incompetent in, in the, on this occasion. So I think that's a real worrying thing that <clears throat> the like to say, you know, how how quickly the wheels seem to come off for us, you know, in in the various stages where we've been at, you know, in in this league in the last four years where we've looked so close on, you know, the first season under Ross, you know, we'd lost what two, three games all season. And then we stacked it in the final week of the season completely, you know, to, to, to be 39 games and have two games in hand and be what a point off third, second, sorry, and then not get promoted. And then obviously under Parkinson, the first time, you know, <laughs> sorry, under Parkinson, the second time, sorry, where we've uh, obviously, you know, gone, no, it was Parkinson the first time, yeah. I mean, I've, when he first came in. Season, the COVID, yeah. se- the yeah, COVID yeah, season. Yeah, it was when he first timeline. came Yeah, so we, we lose that. down a mid-table. We lose we? that. We lose that game, you know, to Coventry. Lose the game, or draw the game with Gillingham. Draw with Fleetwood. Lose to Bristol Rovers. COVID hit, and then we'd, we would have been top two if we'd, like, won, beaten um, Gillingham and Bristol, Bristol mm. Rovers, I think. So there's another example of that. And then last season... You know, we'll go on this unbelievable run and then manage to, you know, win one of our last 10 games and lose in the playoff semi-final. I mean, we just seem to spectacularly go the other way. And it, it just seems to come out of nowhere. I don't know. I mean, as an ex-player, Kieran, I mean, maybe you've got a view on how can it be that we look so slick and we, we're possession team, we move the ball so quickly and we've got players doing intricate things and, you know, creating opportunities to the point where on Saturday the players literally cannot control football and it's running off them and going out of play and they can't find the pass. I mean, how how and how does that happen over what seems to be overnight? Well, I think there's probably more experienced and better men than I have tried to definitively pinpoint as to why players and teams can look as if they can be unplayable or unbeatable in any given day and manage to maintain that over a series of weeks and performances. And then all of a sudden, it would seem from nowhere, it seems to start to deconstruct. But I suppose with Sunderland at this moment, I was always sceptical that maintaining consistency when you've got so many young players in the side would always be a difficult undertaking. And I understand why there was so much optimism at the early stage of the season when, you know, the results were tending to emerge, even if they were narrow victories in many occasions. But even at that, I still felt that there would at the very least be a period where they would get through maybe two, possibly three matches without winning. Um, What I didn't expect was the manner of defeat that we witnessed, particularly at Rotherham, then, of course, at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, so, you know, this is undoubtedly the biggest test for Lee Johnson in his time at the Stadium of Light. I know it's been said that he has a history within management of what's been referred to some form of streaky period, but I think if you look over... Sunderland's history in the last 20 years, you'll see that that's something that's applicable to Sunderland as a club also, not just within Lee Johnson's management career. So it's something that they have to try to work on, try and establish what may be the shortcomings that are contributory to it. 
because it doesn't get any easier. You know, I, I felt when Sunderland were doing so well in the first eight to ten games, one of the things that added to the credit that I felt was owing was that they were frequently coming up against not the biggest clubs in League One, but a lot of the teams that were in form and the teams that were challenging at the top end of the table. But I did feel that Sunderland, because of the makeup of the team and the squad, they might find it difficult against the bigger clubs and more experienced clubs in League One, even if they were struggling in terms, you know, and with, within the context of their own ambitions. And, you know, so to that end, I mean, they lost by four goals at Portsmouth. They've lost by four goals at Rotherham. They were relatively poor to very poor at Sheffield Wednesday. And, of course, Charlton, that perpetual nemesis, managed to come when they were in the bottom four and emerged victorious at the Stadium of Light. And, of course, in, you know, 12 days' time at Sipswich, who come to the Stadium of Light, who started the season very poorly, but have, over recent weeks, arguably became the most informed team in the division and who will come to the Stadium of Light brimming with confidence. So I wouldn't be one to call for a manager to be dismissed almost at any time. But I do think, you know, if you're asking for my view, I think Lee Johnson is under significant pressure now at this moment. Well, yeah, and you packed a lot out of that little summary, Kieran, and that's why we're like... Oh, you know, this, Steve, we'll try and... you know what I mean? I've not got time to give you a short answer. <laughs> no, it's not. We'll we spread some of that out, definitely. I think, um, you know, there's a lot to discuss in terms of Lee Johnson. I think we're getting the obvious questions on Twitter when we've, we've asked people for their input uh, into the pod. There's an obvious area we're going to talk about when it comes to perhaps some comments Lee Johnson's made. Um, also just about his future, like you say, he's under significant um, pressure. But Gareth is somebody who 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 was at the game on on Saturday as well. I was working, unfortunately. Um, I, I couldn't go, so it's the first home one I've, I've, I've missed this season. But you, you, you were touching on there that, you know, the players couldn't do the basics right. Now, it's an age-old debate, this, isn't it? How much of that is down to a streaky reputation of a manager and, and and Lee Johnson, if we talk about before we come on to the other comments he made, seemed perplexed about that, about that his players at half time he was saying he just wanted them to show that they looked like they cared about the football match. So yeah. that's not that's not it's it's a strange place for this group of players to be at so early in the season just because of a couple of knockbacks. It didn't it didn't feel as though to me, it it didn't feel as though that they weren't trying. Like some people might disagree with me, I don't know, but I didn't feel as though watching that they weren't trying. It's just the, the problem is if you're a possession-based team and you can't keep the ball, then where have you got to go from there? And that, that's the problem we have at the moment. If we're a possession-based team and you can't find a man, you can't keep the ball, you know, you turn the possession over and then you're reacting. You know, you're watching the game sort of from a, a wider angle. You're looking at Broadhead there who's the centre-back's picking the ball up. And then as soon as the centre-back's put the ball up, he's trying to run in behind. So I'm not being funny, but if he's genuinely looking for a pass from Bailey Wright 70 yards over the top to get him in, then he, the you know the, I don't know what they're seeing in training, but that's something they need to sort of think maybe we shouldn't be trying to do that. 
And if he's going to stretch a game, then there's a chasm in the middle of the park where nobody's dropping in to receive. We had a moment in the first half where Embleton's gone into a space and received the ball and his first touch wasn't great, so he couldn't get away. But we, he received the ball in that space and he's dropped in. But if Broadhead keeps on, if we're going to have centre forward who are making these runs in behind all the time or the wide players, so like Diak, who's desperate all the time, he wants the ball in behind, he wants the ball in behind. You know, do they want the ball or, the, or is this part of some sort of tactic to get somebody on the ball in the middle of the park? But nobody's dropping in, so straight away you've got an obvious dysfunction in that in that system. If And then it is, because that's happened, you, you basically... you. You can't start. You can't start the move, whatever move you're trying to make, because they're just passing it across the back. The game gets condensed, and then we can't get out. We're clipping balls into spaces, giving the ball away again. Um, you know, the def- defensively at the moment, we're not doing obviously a lot of just like all season. To be fair, defensively, I mean, I don't know how what how many clean sheets have we had this season. You know, you probably count on one hand how many clean mm-hmm. sheets we've had this season. Um, so if you can't defend and you can't play the style of play you want to to try and create opportunities to score a lot of goals like we were early in the season, you've got a massive problem because teams are going to be able to pick off chances against you and take them and you're not going to be able to recover to take your chances when you get them. And at the moment, we need to score two or three times in a game to win a game because we can't defend. So Have we got an offensive in midfield, depth-wise? Well, I think you can look at the whole squad and you know, generally, I think... We've got problems if we're playing, you know, Win- Winchester's been right back this year and he's been decent, um, but it's, he's not a right back. Like, it's yeah. not his job. Even as he's excelling there at times, he's still not a right back. Um, we've lost, obviously, Huggins through injury, Hume through injury, but that was a gamble that we were willing to take. Same with Evans, who's been in an out due to injury. We're definitely short in the middle of the park um, in, in those two deeper positions. Um, I mean, I don't know what Kieran thinks. He might have a more, you know, no, I mean, a different view than me. You know, look, first of all, we're mentioning look, Winchester, it's admirable when anybody can not only show the preparedness to play in a position that's relatively foreign to them, but then can produce in that position on a consistent basis. But nevertheless, you still always have the impression that. There's a reluctance to it, and a for you know you you don't ask generally forward players to play in midfield, and you don't ask midfielders to play in defence. It's different if you're moving them across a forward line or a midfield line. And I've got no doubt Winchester would like to get back to a position and a role that he's got greater familiarity with. Um, and I mean, I think a lot of this, you know, that here we are. I think Luca Nine's been with the club now for over three seasons, and it's still yet to be established maybe where his definitive best position is. And, you, you know, Luca Nine would be a player who I would point to regarding my son and his development in terms of the attitude and application that is necessary if he ever wants to become a professional footballer. But nevertheless, I, I think there has to be um, a recognition of his limitations in a more technical sense. I mean, it's, it's in the last few weeks that Luca Nine has increasingly been seen as the person who's going to take set pieces. <laughs> and that, for me, is 
I find that hard to fathom. Yeah. And and I, I think then of the creative players that are playing who might possibly feel somewhat put out that they're not being given that particular role, but it's the type of thing that not many of them would be willing to confront the manager or the coach who makes such decisions about. And, you know, you have to obviously try and make... And apart from anything, you want Luko 9 in the middle when you're taking corners or free kicks that might result in a chance because there's no player that is much... that is a better example Example of having the desire and the application and the ability to go on and try and either win a fin- first phase header or to you know to show courage. So, um, you know, and, and go back what Gareth was saying about being a possession based team. Um, I mean that it's all well and good, but one of the absolutely critical components of management is the ability to make decisions and changes in game. And basically what that means is that if you're wanting to progress the ball 30 or 40 yards up the field, and generally you might use three or four passes to do it, well, if possession-based football isn't working for you, then you're going to have to try and do something similar in one or two passes. And that might mean that you miss out a player on occasion. But of course, what you're trying to do is to make sure that the more creative and attack-minded players get on the ball somewhat quicker than they might generally do. Um, so, um, it's, you know, Lee Johnson and his coaching staff are, you know, they're well recompensed to try and make sure that they can iron out the difficulties that have become all too common over recent games and weeks. Mm. The Luke 9 thing you mentioned there is, 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 is fascinating, how that's developed over the last couple of weeks to somebody who, you know, we, we've discussed lots and probably too much on this pod. And I'm, I'm careful again because get accused of having an agenda, even though I've always just been a bit indifferent about them. Um, the, 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 fundament, it, it, but, the fundamental but, thing at the weekend, right? So, sorry to interrupt, Stephen, but he comes on and Dan Neal goes to left back. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This compounds what like, Kieran's been saying there about the decision suddenly to put him on set pieces. <laughs> and you start to wonder... You, the, the players on the pitch can't be sinking that much into themselves that this is as a, re- a result of none of them wanting to take responsibility because there's a difference between somebody saying, right, I'm going to have to step up and do that. But if there are better players on the pitch to do that than you and they've been doing that for the last three seasons mm. or, or two seasons, it's, it's, it's a bizarre development, isn't it, Kieran? Try, the thing is, in that, in that instance, sorry, you're trying to get back in the game, you're 1-0 down. I know, funnily enough, like, you know, he got forward at the end and he hit the bar on the side of the bar with that effort, Neil. But you want him on the ball, trying mm-hmm. to th- thread thread people in. Yeah, you, you don't want him at left back when you're trying to you, when you're trying to get back into a game. It, to me, it just seems it's very it's just a very strange thing. I mean, I know the lad addressed it on the Thursday pod, but the simple thing to do would be to you know, Winchester is better technically on the football than Lugo Nine, and mm-hmm. Lugo Nine's skill set is more in his endeavour and desire and willing yeah. to chuck his body into things. I put him at put him at right back again. I mean if it, in the middle. I mean like, we go back to briefly to my time at the club. I mean and I know you both of you would have um with some memory of it. I mean, what would you have thinking if you'd been standing in the clock stand or the paddocks 
and you saw Gordon Armstrong going over to take a corner kick with the expectation that I'll go on the end of it, you know, you'd be thinking, hold on a minute, has somebody reversed the roles? Because you have to try and play to your skill sets. And as much as there's so much newness about football and there's so much technology involved, there's certain constants that have never changed since football emerged 150 years ago and are never likely to change if the game's played for another thousand years. And that is that you try and play to people's attributes. And as much as Aiden would be a creative player, he's never been the best at set pieces. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly not his 40 and it wouldn't be an accurate reflection of how good he is at dribbling. But when you think of other players that have came in in more recent times, like Elliot Embleton, who showed he's adept at putting a delivery in, um, and I'm sure others that has been mentioned, Winchester, you, you just wonder why you would take Lucanine away from an area where he's got such great desire and conviction and put him into a position where there's others that could do that specific job better. And, you know... Grant Ledbetter, you know, was very productive for Sunderland in that regard. And it may be that they've not got somebody who can produce that effect and those outcomes to the same extent. But um, it's, it's just something amongst many things that have became, you know, quite hard to fathom over recent weeks. And mm. um, it's obviously coincided with a period that has been, you know, like, um, I think it's taken a lot of people by, by surprise. The thing is, yeah. it's, a, it's surprising, but at the same time, it's completely believable. That's the thing. It's come, you know what I mean? It, it's, this is what we do. We think like, every time, oh, well, we've got to crack this time. And then we we just stack it every time. It, it's the mm. same. And like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying like, like personally, like with Johnson, it's like, I'm like, he's like, to me, it, I'm not, Bothered either way, like I'm. I, I, I haven't. I wouldn't say like I'm warm to him, but I wouldn't say like I can't stand him or anything like yeah, that. I want no, rid of him. I, you know I, what I mean? I think that's like, the case for most fans. To be fair, just I, like, he's not... just you know this guy who's doing this job and he's had some good, done some good stuff and then done some bad stuff. So mm. it, it's just a funny one, really. It's I find it. I find it a bit like not that it's the the key thing but I do find he lacks a bit of that charisma and I think the problem is when you're going through a bad run that's going to count against you because you haven't got that you haven't got that to fall back on you haven't got you're not going to instill that even if it's bravado and it's not it doesn't count for anything in reality mm. keeping people with you is really important I don't feel as though I mean other people might disagree but I don't I feel as though he's got I don't feel like if you look at Chris Coleman like he took us down essentially but he did have you with him for quite a bit of it because the way he was and the, the things he said and the the way he carried himself. Well, I think Lee, Lee Johnson possibly just guises any charisma he has because he just explains everything far too much. And so he should just work on saying less. We're going to come, think... that, come that second part. We'll take a quick break now. We've got some questions from people from Twitter. We're going to talk about Lee Johnson in particular because... Uh, I think he's made some comments that have been translated in uh, a variety of ways, uh, one end of the spectrum to the other. So we'll see what Kieran thinks about that. The 
Cargo Men Say podcast is brought to you in association with From the Terraces. Cargo Shorts. For a 10% discount, enter the code WMS10 at the checkout stage. Or bucket heads. While you do that, check out the From the Terraces podcast, presented by Rory Fallow and Matthew Keeling. T-shirts. For more information, search for From the Terraces on social media. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Wise Men's Day podcast. No game of the weekend uh, for us to preview, so there won't be a podcast on Thursday doing that, and there won't be a reaction pod um, to, 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 to bring you either. So it's probably going to be a week and a half or so before the next podcast, which will be previewing that Ipswich game. Which Do you, is do you know what we haven't mentioned, Stephen? I don't, what have we I, don't, not I don't think the lads brought it up at, uh, on the last pod. I didn't know if you were going to wait till the end before you. No, no, do we do it? Well, just no, go like, on. You brought it up now. No, so. just like we've obviously been nominated for that uh, FXA award. So thanks Congratulations. Yeah. Well done to you all involved. Yeah. So thank you very much, whoever, you know, put us forward for that. And uh, thank you um, for, you know, listening over the years. Um, yeah, we're looking forward. It'll be a good, if, a good. Can life. I just inquire if you do happen to be successful, which one of you will be tasked with making the acceptance speech? I don't even know if they'll give you the layout. We'll do that. I haven't even thought that's not cross. We, 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 <laughs> we had a we had a triple checker. Was us who'd been. Yeah, yeah. Been, we're going like we've not, we've, not thought, we've not thought about anything like that. It took about forty five minutes um, to find out it was correct because like we we're going. I'm sure there's a whole podcast called Wise Men Say. So we're like looking around, and there it was. So yeah, but yeah, thank you very much. And um, no, I'll well done, you all involved. I'll be doing the acceptance speech, obviously, because I'm funnier than Stephen. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Until you bottle it at the time, and I'm a chief winger. Um, <laughs> we'll see. No, we look just grateful. We are really grateful for everyone's support over the last seven years that we've that we've been doing this. Right. So, um, questions. I mean, you know, aim towards Lee Johnson generally. So, before I get on the specific ones, let's have a look who said the first one. So, Keith Countdon has, has said. What do you think of Lee Johnson's comments on support of social media reaction having an effect on the recent form? I felt like he didn't criticise the fans, firstly, did he? He wasn't direct enough for that. But I, I kind of, I sensed that it was at the back of his mind somewhere. And it's a dangerous, dangerous road for manager to go down, Kieran. Mm. We've seen it many times over recent years. Again, I'm not saying that he has gone there, but you can't help get the vibes from him. Mm. When he's talking about saying this club is too big for clubs, uh, for for some this club, 
overawes some players. Let's not forget before losing at home at Charlton that won five on the bounce in front of 30,000 yeah. and life was glorious then. Mm-hmm. There was no negative reaction to the Charlton defeat that I could see. They didn't get booed off. Mm-hmm. You know, the fans didn't turn on them. Um, the, the majority of bad results have started to come away from home. It's an interesting time to bring that up. Mm. It, it is. And, it, you know, in many respects, it smacks of a manager speaking through emotion rather than being able to articulate points in a specific way. I mean, if I go back to my own experiences, complacency set in with myself and a number of my, uh, our players at times often because we were the recipient of praise that I felt at times was overblown or overstated. And the thing about the reaction of supporters, whether it's on social media or fans' forums, if if you're going to encounter criticism, then that criticism is going to cut a lot deeper if you have been someone that has grown accustomed to praise on a very regular basis. And, you know, some of the commentary that I've seen about certain players in the early part of the season in terms of compliments and being credible was completely overblown. I mean, so many players at Sunderland at the moment are, in essence, League One footballers. Now, they might be League One footballers going through a very positive or productive period, but a lot of them won't play championship football. A lot of them certainly won't play Premier League football. And although I can understand the delight when local players come through, I still think there's a long way to go before Ellie Embleton or Dan Neal might become Premier League regulars. It might happen, but... They, they, I mean, I, I used to get endless praise and adoration and affection from supporters. And as a human being, it's something you warmly appreciate, but it can create a sense of complacency. So... If anything, if there's been allegations or accusations that the players have become somewhat apathetic or complacent or blasé recently, I think it could be as much down to the fact that they get praised and they get supported and loved rather than the fact that one in every ten comments about them in the last four months or so has been negative. That aside... When you become manager of Sunderland, when you become the owner of Sunderland, you tend to speak about the wonderful attributes that comes with the loyalty and passion of the fan base. Now, the problem with that is that when things tend to go awry, you're going to be confronted by a much greater test of your ownership and management because you then have the responsibility to address whatever defects there are and try to put that right. And... Lee Johnson might be factual in saying that social media has became a little bit toxic over recent weeks. But the reason for it is because Sunderland have been woefully underperforming as a consequence of it, have not reaped any rewards in terms of results. And he's the man that is tasked with not only only bringing some form of cure to that, but it was his job initially to make sure that he prevented any such instances. And, I mean, one of the things I would say, and and it's in a wider sense about Saturday and the reversal against Mansfield, it's not even been 
commented on in any significant way within mainstream media that Mansfield coming to the Stadium of Light and winning is seen as some form of major giant killing act. Now, of course, it might not be seen as that because it's the second year in a row that it's actually happened. But I think Sunderland always have to be like any club, conscious of a wider perception of the club. And Sunderland losing at, Mans- at home to Mansfield, um, you know, it's, it's embarrassing. Um, the fact that it's happened twice now in almost a year is just twice as embarrassing. But the fact that it doesn't even seem to be seen as an embarrassment is even more humiliating and shameful. And it perhaps indicates just how low the position is that the club currently holds in terms of broader perception of Sunderland Football Club. Um, And, you know, and and there's a great, you, you know, and I noticed maybe that the senior figures at the club have tended to be much more muted recently. And you don't expect them to make statements every week or in the immediate aftermath of every adverse performance or result. But I really hope they're looking at things and trying to get an understanding of the ethos within the club and how it impacts upon players over a period of time. Because you, Steve, you, Gareth, and everyone listening to this, yous have all seen this movie before. You know, yous have all heard this plenty times before. Um, and, and it's up to the people who are the custodians of the club, the management and coaches, to try to find something different, you know, and not just to... Um, it's not always as simple as we'll adopt plan B or we'll do plan A better. Um, you have to be quite innovative and imaginative in your thinking. Um, and, you know, there might be a tough, a tough time ahead. It's it's just I, th- I just find it a really interesting time from from to do it. I think like you said there, Kuna, you know, embarrassing losing on Man Mansfield had won I think they'd beaten Tranmere the game before. They hadn't won in fourteen games before that in League Two. So there should be never any you know, we could be under worse form, we could be mid table, should still be putting um to bed teams like that. And it's just like I said, you know, I'm not saying that that's what he said, but I just get the sense that it's in the back of your mind. And I think there is no, you can't come back from that road once mm. you take it and you've got to be oh. careful. Jack Ross, who I really liked, said something similar after a game not long before he was sacked. Um, Gus Poyet's the obvious one who, if you remember, um, when we, we lost at home at QPR, didn't we? And, and QPR yeah. were bottom and we, we lost 2-0 and they absolutely battered us in the first half. And in the second half, um, if I remember rightly, that the Southern fans start getting behind the players because they start to suddenly win the second balls. Mm. And started to run about a little bit more. And Gus Poyet um, came at the end of that game and started to say, well, I, you know, if that's what Sunderland fans want, I'm not on board with this. I don't want to play football like this. I don't want to play hoofball and stuff. And entirely missed the point of what the Sunderland fans were getting yeah. behind. You know, totally misinterpreted why they were getting behind. It was just the, the just sure fighting spirit. And I just, but again, once he'd said it, there's no way from coming back from it. And I would just say that, he just needs to be careful and and not go there. Is 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 I all think, I would say. I think there's 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 that sort of contrast, isn't there? And the, I think a manager is probably always going to lack the ability to understand it from our perspective in in this current situation. So when we were in League One, 
the reason division, we sacked the manager, three, remember, yeah, in- well, when we were in this division, the reason we sacked the manager is because they don't look like they're going to get us promoted. So that means when we sack the manager, the one that comes in, the task is to get promoted. Yeah, yeah. And we we are four years into a one year plan to get out of League mm. One. So when a new manager comes in and they're thinking, well, I'll come in and I'll, you know, I'm going to do all these wonderful things and instill my philosophy in the players and we're going to like bring these players in and it's going to take a bit of time for them to do this. It's like you have like you might that for you that might be what you want to do. Yeah. From a manager's perspective, but from our perspective, we haven't got time for you to spend two and a half years getting it right because mm. we the were project, relegated four Gareth, years ago. It is. Yeah, it's, that's part of new technology and exactly. terminology, the project. You know, Sunderland have got, um, you know, they've got one clear, undiluted priority, and that is to play championship football next season. Um, but as you say, rightly so, that's been the priority or the objective now for Four, know, years. four years. Yeah. I mean, if we wanted to do the whole project <laughs> thing, they shouldn't have sat Jack Ross because he probably, within four years, law of averages, given yeah. time, he'd probably get us up. Mm. So if we're saying, so what are we doing then? Oh, 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 can we hit, we can't, as supporters, you can't hit reset every time somebody gets a chance. It's, they, they get the chance because the previous person has failed. Then that mm. is why they're here and they're here to get us promoted. They're not here to, in my opinion, to to like spend eighteen months getting it right. It's not. It needs. They need to get it right immediately. Yeah. And they can. They can start thinking about long term plans in the championship. I'm sorry, but like League One is not somewhere where we should be getting our, you know, putting our slippers on, and like getting a pipe out and putting our feet up in front of the fire and waiting for something good to happen. We need to get out of the league as soon as possible. And that's always yeah. been the plan. And I think. I think the managers need to crack on with it because he, you know, yeah. and, and he's. he's like I say, you know, don't even go there with the fans thing because you will find when we're winning five home games on the bounce, best start in like 100 years or whatever it is. Turn on, not turn on his players, but criticising his players as well. That's the other thing. You know, you've got to, you've just got to be careful of and he's going to be under massive pressure by the time that the Ipswich game comes and he just needs to crack on with it and sometimes say a little bit. Um, less on that, uh, Alex Campbell, when will Lee Johnson consider and rectify the negative effect his team and management decisions are having on me. <laughs> Fair enough, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Macam Lee Johnson, I think that one. Macam and Morgan, um, What does the manager have to do to keep his job? Will they trust him with transfers in the coming transfer window? Kieran, is he going to get past the Ipswich game? Because we've got we've got a stretch of four games after that that are really winnable games. Mm. I'm not advocating <clears> sacking <throat> the manager personally. But that Ipswich game feels feels I think really that hard, the, doesn't it? You know, obviously results are a critical component in determining the future of a manager. But I think one of the other things that any board member would be looking at is are there any telltale signs that the players have stopped responding to instruction or that the effort levels are not what they should be? And to that end, even if somehow Ipswich came to the Stadium of Light and left with three points, it might well be that Lee Johnson is still in a job in the following days and weeks. But I think the performance and the intensity, and, you know, we go back to something you had said a few moments ago about um, <coughs> the, the period with Gus Poyet in, in that particular game against Queen's Park Rangers. 
I mean, ultimately, there's a responsibility on the players to inspire the fans. You know, and I know at times, a lot, they, you know, this relationship can be reciprocal, but it shouldn't always be exclusively that the players will only react positively once the fans either share their frustrations or when the second half's about to kick off, get behind them. Um, and I've got no doubt that by the time we get to the Stadium of Light on the 20th of this month, by the time three o'clock comes round and the players emerge from the tunnel, more than 30,000 supporters will be fully behind the 11 players in red and white as they take, or the 10 outfielders and the goalkeeper. You know, and Lee Johnson should really be homing in on that and saying, look, these they, they might not love you as much as they did three weeks ago, six weeks ago, nine weeks ago, but they love you and they want you to do well. And when you walk down that tunnel and onto that field, you listen for the backing that you're getting and use that as the confidence to stir you into action. You know, and, and I always feel it's beneficial for Sunderland if they really take the initiative in the opening seconds and minutes because it can set the tone and the pattern yeah. for the remainder of the game. Yeah. And saying that, I know that Paul Cook will probably warn the Ipswich players about that. So, they, you know, they're going to be prepared for it. Um, but, I, I mean, I still, I can't see Lee Johnson being out of a job just, you know, if they lose against Ipswich. I think the performance, maybe how they lose, if they are to lose, might go some way to de- to determine it. And then, of course, they have to have, as Gareth said, <coughs> they would have to have somebody in mind, somebody they've even spoken with, to be prepared to come in, work with that group of players until January, and then hopefully bring in reinforcements to try to make sure that they can go on and achieve that very single important objective of promotion. Um, and just, just to add to that, Carol Louis-Dreyfus should be looking at who Sunderland's next manager is on an ongoing basis, regardless of whether Lee Johnson's position is safe or not. If, 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 if clubs have recruitment staff or players ready to bring in at a moment's notice or in the next transfer window, they should be doing the same with managers. It shouldn't be seen as something more morally objectionable. They should always be on the lookout because the manager's position might become untenable in a relatively short period of time. And I think most managers would accept that. I think, yeah. I, th- I think, you know, and, and I think the thing about Lee Johnson as well and, and the position he's in, you know, I would argue that if we weren't in League One, then he probably wouldn't get the opportunity to manage Sunderland. Um, and I think given his, given the way he is, I think he's probably fantasising about, you know, returning Sunderland to it, you know, past glories or, or whatever, getting back in the Premier League or in the upper echelons of the Championship, getting fined for promotion and being, you know, visualising being that person who's done it and sort of, I think there was a little bit of that worry that that wasn't going to happen to him in that post-match. He did, um, you know, was it Sheffield Wednesday where he was kind of basically just begging like yeah. going like oh like he's taken that he's taken that please, chance where they're singing please stay with us to heart, yeah, isn't he? I know. he's really taken that to heart you've got to just a gallows humour it's like yeah, you know if that's all like, it is self-deprivating like, humour just like come on like grow a spine a little bit I mean I, I just feel like this Ipswich game 
massive sliding door moments because after that, you know, you've got Shrewsbury, um, Cambridge, mm. um, you know, the stupid fix list. You've got to click it in the next month, so that's annoying. <laughs> um, Morgan after that, and then you've got mm. Plymouth, which big game. I mean, Ipswich again, got Ipswich again. yeah. So, so yeah. I, I just feel like you know we've seen this with managers before, where you say that was the game that turned it around, uh, or that the, was the I game. Tell you what, didn't... like if the if with those fixtures coming up, if if we lose, if we lose say two of those next three, mm. and with the with the knowing they've got Plymouth and and um, Ipswich to come again, going yeah. into January, tell you what he's. I'm not saying if we lose Ipswich and he loses one of those next three games, he will be sacked. I think, I think, without a doubt, yeah. I think that certainly sounds more plausible. And, and it's, I mean, it's a double edged sword having games that would be regarded as much more winnable than others because, and it's coincidental also in the sense that Lee Johnson opted to take charge of team affairs just prior to a home game against Wigan. Yeah. And I believe he'd done it because he thought it would get yeah. him off to a winning start. Yeah. And, of course, the difficulty comes is that um, the owner of a football club will always find it easier to dismiss a manager off the back of a defeat in a game that you thought was, you know, very winnable or you'd expected to win. So... The managers of Shrewsbury and Morecambe and Cambridge, you know, will we'll, we'll be trying to play, you know, trying to get psychological benefits into their players that, you know, you're playing Sunderland when they're really under the cosh. Um, and, and of course, and, and, you know, fans might not thank me for saying it and some fans might find it hard to believe. But if you have had a fallout with a manager and you know that that manager is on the cusp of losing their job, it might be that you're one of the ones that becomes increasingly apathetic when you play and you become blasé, because um, it would be wonderful to think that the first instinctive thought when players played was for the emotional well-being of supporters. But sadly, that's not the case. You know, at times, if they think the manager that they've come to dislike or disagree with regularly is going to be ousted, then they might feel that they can contribute to that because it's better for their own personal development. Mm. Um, so it's um, it's certainly a double-edged sword. Um, but, I mean, the atmosphere should be very... The atmosphere will be good at the stadium, I like, in 12 days' time. I think so. I can't... Uh, the fans yeah. haven't turned. You, you know, yeah, lots of, of Lots of loud voices on social media, but the, we've seen fan bases turn, and this this is not what's happened at no. the moment at all. There was people booing at the weekend, but that's the first time, like, you've heard it at a home game, obviously, because we lost won. to Mansfield. We won, like and we lost to... And, we lost to, bottom, and I remember, like, yeah. last, when we lost to Mansfield in the FA Cup last year, People were like going on. That was it was the worst result in our history and all that. You know, they say, well, it wasn't. Like, I don't want to get on that again. But um, you could argue that you know the runner results we've had in League One wouldn't if in if we're in the Premier League and we lost four nil away from home, five one away from home, three nil away from home, and lost to the second bottom team in the league. Yeah. Do you yeah. think people wouldn't be asking questions yeah, even if we're in the Premier League? We're in we're in the third division. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. whatever debate you want to have about, well, you've got to accept at this level and this is the players we have. 
Yeah. It's relevant because people will be human whichever level you're playing at. So never accept but, a five-one drubbing in division. Oh, three. is it? Is it, Cam- is it Cambridge and then Shrewsbury? Is it? Did you say Shrewsbury then Cambridge? Uh, Shrewsbury then Cambridge. Yeah. All right. It's just funny because I was thinking we beat we beat Cambridge seven 0 didn't we? And then we lost to Arsenal. Um, and then Reed got sacked, and Cottrell was brought in. I just thought it was been funny if we'd played Cambridge and then played Shrewsbury. And obviously the manager of Shrewsbury's uh, <laughs> the yeah. cut roll. Just thought it was quite like would have been quite a funny like little sort of coincidence mm. sort of thing. Not Great funny well. if you lose. Not funny if you if you don't beat Cambridge seven nil and then lose uh, to, to Shrewsbury. But yeah, it's yeah. the other way around, so it doesn't matter. So forget yeah. it; it's irrelevant. Yeah, Kieran, I know you need to get off, so we'll we'll wrap things up. Sorry, there was loads of tweets we couldn't get to. Get to the uh, former Sunderland player Tony Cullen tweeted us, Kieran, when we said we had you on, just said, Could you let him know I'm asking after him, please? So, uh, great lad, Cully. Um, <laughs> nice to hear that. Um, and a lot of happy times and happy memories with Cully. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you one quick anecdote. In about the autumn of 1991, we had a left back on trial who was uh, at the time Yugoslav international and had just won the European Cup with Red Star Belgrade. And from memory, his trial was cut short because Tony Cullen absolutely mortified him in a training session. Um, And Cully had the ability to do that from a standing start. He would just knock it down the line and whip great balls in. Um, And that was him doing it to a then European Cup winning left back. So... Um, a great lad and some great times with Cully so um, good to hear from him well hopefully we'll get there get there again we will bring you something next week let's see let's see how we go I mean there'll definitely be a preview pod where we where we bring you something um, before that it could depend on, on on what the manager says in the media I guess but uh, as always um, thanks for listening to us today and thanks for supporting us over the last seven years I think it feels right to say that so That is a wrap. Thanks. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.